My name is Javier Jase. I am a cannabis journalist from Argentina, currently serving as the uh, managing director for Benzinga Cannabis and head of content for Benzinga. I'm also a senior contributor at Forbes and CEO of El Planteo. Elplanteo.com or Elplanteo.com is the most read cannabis media outlet in all the Spanish speaking world. Uh, I wrote a book for entrepreneur media called Start Your Own Cannabis Business, which went on to be a bestseller. And I am very, very, very proud to work in cannabis. Welcome back to another episode of the Proud to Work in Cannabis podcast. I'm your host, Carson, and today I'm extremely excited because first off, we're going to Benzinga in Chicago next week. So if you're listening and you're not going, you should be. We have this super special guest, Javier. We've spoken on the phone. You've written amazing articles. We have tons of mutual friends, but you and I actually haven't spent a ton of time together. So I'm so excited for this podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, and, and I'm very excited that this conversation will be very authentic. We're, we're really getting to know each other in a different level than, than the data exchange and information exchange we usually do for articles, content, podcasts, Benzinga cannabis shows, etc. And also the tables are turning a little bit because usually you're asking me questions, and so this is, <laughs> this is, this is reverse journalism. Indeed, indeed. But you're you're great at it. Honestly, if you ever decide to change careers, you should consider a career in journalism. Uh, maybe you could hire me. Anytime. Let's start out by learning about what you were doing before you entered the cannabis space. Tell us about your background and, and what you were doing pre-cannabis days. Nothing. No. <laughs> um, so I'm 32 years old. I'm from Argentina. Grew up there, was educated there, public schooled actually learned English from hip-hop and movies, so my lingo was pretty weird for a while. Uh, I finished college at age 22 and got into financial journalism. I was writing articles and getting published on Seeking Off, The Motley Fool, Market Watch, etc. And just one year into my career, in 2013, an editor asked me, hey, would you be willing to write an article about cannabis stocks and derivative plays? No one else wants to sign it. No one wants to put their name on the line for this new industry with very few publicly traded companies. There was like GW maybe and a few others out there. And I asked like, hey, are you going to pay me for this? I said, yes. And that was it. That was it for me. I was, I was hooked. You know, someone was paying me to write about cannabis, weed, marijuana, pot, you know, the devil's lettuce, whatever you want to call it, right? Stigma aside, it's it's a fantastic plant. I, I love it. I've grown it for the past 14 years. I'm passionate about it. I'm passionate about the impact it can make on society, on healthcare. Of course, legalization has a huge impact on social justice, gender equality, if we make and build this industry the right way, penal system. Like there, there's so many things that it impacts. Of course, the economy, you know, taxation. It's 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 one of these things that is so all-encompassing that it's it's a privilege. It's honestly a privilege. I there's no day that I, I I wake up and don't think how surreal it is that that cannabis not only pays my bills but allows me to employ dozens of people and I don't know make a living out of this is is just amazing. I, I often tell my friends when they ask me what do you do, it's like of course I'm a cannabis journalist. I manage teams. 
But, you know, a big part of my job is traveling the world, all expenses paid in five-star hotels, talking weed, which to me is it's crazy, right? It's not even my bosses. Like events all around the world will go like, hey, do you want to come speak? Do you want to come judge a pitch contest? And I'm like, why me? Out of all people, why me? <laughs> and it's, it's, it's surreal. Well, I... It does sound surreal, traveling the world, staying in five-star hotels, talking about cannabis, meeting all the players. I mean, you do have, definitely have the dream job of all the people that we have on here where we haven't heard someone say that before. So that's pretty good. I want to back up. So what started as someone offering you some money to start writing about cannabis, that's how that, that started. Of course, a lot of things have changed just so that we have a sense of timeline. What year was that? So that was to published one article and... It became an immediate snowball. People started reaching out saying, hey, here, I'm in cannabis as well. And I do finance. I have some data. Back then, only Deborah Borchard and Alan Brockstein were talking cannabis stocks or, or talking cannabis business and finance. Seriously, at least that I know of. I don't want to leave anyone out. But, you know. We never heard of anyone else. Those were the two. And now three. Yeah. Exactly. I, I had never heard of anyone else doing this. And, you know, it, it's just part of this community, right? It's an industry, but it's also a movement and it's also a community. And, and the community is welcoming. It embraces people. People are happy to have more well-intentioned people join. So it was just that. They started reaching out. I started publishing more articles. In 2014, Benzinga hired me. I pitched them this idea to do to, to a lot of cannabis content. It became a huge vertical for us. And, and it became a career for me and, and many of the outlets who had once rejected me as a writer for other topics like Playboy or Forbes were suddenly reaching out. Hey, Javier, we want your content. We know you're a cannabis journalist right now and we really want your content. And it, 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 it's one of those things that is just self-reinforcing. I also think that, that doing you know the right thing with your heart trying to not have a bias. And of course, everyone has a bias. I'm pro-cannabis and pro-cannabis legalization. So that is my bias, right? But doing things the right way with good intentions, to talking to the right people, building authentic, honest relationships will take you very far. Well, what pieces or what stories really stand out in your mind in those early days? What were your favorite stories that you wrote? I mean, at first I was writing a lot just about stocks and, and business and investment, but I like the, the narratives behind many of them. One of my favorites was a piece I, I wrote for Forbes several years ago on, on how struggling towns were being revitalized by cannabis, right? So you have the case of Coaling in California and the case of several places in Mendocino County, and, and they're all impressive. They're all amazing, right? There's, there's this one town that was struggling with debt, and its whole economy was centered around a private prison, and, and suddenly the prison closed, and the town was struggling with deficit. And one day, a group of people came over, including Bob Marley's son, and they, they bought the prison and turned it into a cannabis venture. And within months, the the town was saved. There's another story of how Steve D'Angelo would drive past another town super often, right? And and he'd see dozens of, of greenhouses that were just sitting there and no one was using them. And he dug a, a little bit and found out that that town specifically was mostly populated by former Japanese war prisoners in America who were then released and because they were doing cut flower production 
back in, in Japan, they started doing cup flower production in, in, in the US and California. But then the 90s came and, and most of the production of cup flowers moved to Ecuador and Colombia. And uh, suddenly, again, the, the town was struggling. There was nothing to do. And they figured out, okay, this is a perfect climate. We have the infrastructure. Why not grow cannabis? We have the, the skilled labor force who knows what it is, how it is to grow a very delicate plant that requires a lot of attention and responds very well to, to human care and love, right? And again, the, the town was saved. Right? That, those are some of my favorite stories for sure. There are millions, there are millions. I'm searching for my book that I published with Entrepreneur Media. I wanted to get like the best kind of story for the introduction, right? For the, it's not the foreword, but I forget the word. Sorry, English is my second language, but I remember it. But the first chapter, right? The, the, the first story I told, and it's the story of Hunter Garth, this guy who was a, a war veteran and he was struggling with, with depression and, and, and suicidal attempts and, a bunch of different issues and decided to leave everything behind and move to Colorado with, I don't know, maybe like 200 bucks in his pocket and, and try medical cannabis. And, and one day he goes to a dispensary and, and the security guard who's carting him, he's got an attitude. He is intimidating and he goes like, why should I feel uncomfortable getting my medicine? There's other ways to transmit this kind of confidence that people cannot go in and rob without being rude, without being an a-hole, right? And so he, he said, okay, I'll offer these guys to be their guard. Uh, I'm, I'm a badass war veteran. Oh, I know how to handle weapons. I know how to handle combat. I don't need to prove it with my bad attitude, right? And, and it was great. And suddenly... Uh, within a couple of months, his product, his service was in demand and he started summoning his other war veteran friends as well. And, and within a few months, he had built a company that was then very quickly sold by several million dollars to a publicly traded company. And the guy went from, from broken suicidal to <laughs> millionaire, right? Because he, he was creative, which also shows that Cannabis is an industry that rewards creativity, that, that you can create capital-light business models that still work, right? You don't need millions to start a growth facility. While writing my book, a lot of people told me, yeah, I went to my friends and family and raised a million dollars. And it's like, who the hell are your friends and family? Please introduce me. I don't know people with a million dollars. <laughs> and it's, it's part of that, being, being creative. I just love it. I just love it. Those stories are so uplifting. And it is true. There's so many stories where you see people, as you just said, going from broken, depressed to running a business that's helping people just like yourself and earning a really great income along the way. And there's so many stories like that. In your job on the day-to-day, -day, talk to us about a day in the life of a reporter in cannabis. <sighs> So, I mean, it, it, it really varies depending on, on what the schedule is like, but, but I wake up, I check the news, I check, I check in with the team. The Benzinga team is amazing. We have many, many writers. A writer, Maureen is fantastic. We have Nina, Yella, Lara, Nicolas, Joanna, Puk, Nathan, like a, a bunch of people scouring through the news, posting maybe 80 news items in our Slack channel. We decide what's best to cover each day and we try to publish 30, 40 stories every day. And then it's calls, interviews, more reading, a bunch of emails. I, I get about 800 pitches a day. I try to respond to all the pitches. I try 800. not to be. 800. 
800. Who, who's I, pitching you? Is this PR firms, founders, everyone, marketing, everybody? Everyone is welcome to pitch me. Uh, I know a lot of people have PTSD from pitching story because the wrong pitch might warrant a, a not very nice response many times, but I try to always be very aware that on the other side of, of, of this, there is a person. I also ask people when they're pitching me, remember there's a person here as well. I'm a person, right? I. I, I love my work, but I also have a life and I need to do everything. And if I have to go through 800 emails every day and, and 95% of them are not pertinent to my coverage, it's a waste of time. And, and especially because like people expect a response, even when it's not a personalized email. But, but there's a lot of that in figuring out. And then, then a lot of conversations off the record, especially in finance and business, you, you really got to, to keep your, what is it, your finger on the pulse, right? Is that an expression? That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's an expression. So, finger on the pulse. Perfect. So just like, you know, try and and, and, and stay on top of, of the trends on what's happening on what's going to happen, right? Not breaking embargoes, not not distributing embargoed information or, or off-the-record information. I think all that relationship building really leads to great journalism because then you get the best story. And, and, and that is great advice for anyone and it's a very fine line at the same time because journalistic ethics should be very respected how do you quote unquote befriend a source without it being a conflict of interest right so you established a, a relationship of trust but at the same time you do let them know that your duty your obligation is with the public with the readership we provide a service to our readership first it's not a service to the company There might be marketing managers out there or founders out there listening that maybe can't afford to hire PR firm. They can't afford Rosie. And <laughs> I wish we all could. I wish we all could. Uh, although we, we have been a Matteo client for five years and I owe a lot of the reasons why you respond to us because of Matteo, but oh, it's not free. So there's people out there that they, they hopefully someday they can afford Rosie, but right now they can't. What should those people do to not annoy you and make their pitch stand out? Like, what are some actual tactical steps? I'm going to get into that. But okay. actually, you know, you mentioned Matteo, right? And, and that is a good example. I told them, like, this is what I'm interested in. Th these are the pitches I want to get. And I want to get them from a person, not a machine, not an email blast. I want someone emailing me saying, hey, Javier, I know you're interested in this topic. And they told the entire team, like, hey, this is what Javier wants. This is a way to get him to cover you. And I try to cover as much as possible. Like I, I built a, a career and a reputation in cannabis for trying to cover as much as possible, for trying to shine a light on, on the big, the small, the medium, the underserved, the underdog, and the multi-billionaire, right? It's inclusion for me that that matters, right? But it has to be tailored. So if you're reaching out, just again, be a person. That is the, the one thing, right? Like I'm, I'm a super nice guy. So just email me saying, hey, Javi, I, I like your work or just Google me. You know, if you Google my name, it shows up, verify profiles everywhere. And it says like, hey, this is, this is my Benzinga content. This is my Forbes column. This is my content on entrepreneur. You want to pitch me, here's how. And, and it's just send me stories you think I'd be interested in. It, the fact that I cover cannabis does not mean I cover every topic. I'm not doing product reviews. I am not a big fan of Delta THC, if, if you ask me, to be honest, right? I, I will cover it if, if it's substantial news. 
It's funny, I was just before this, just before this call, I was talking to someone about Delta 9, which I don't know a ton about, and it made me think of my next question of, for you, in order for you to write about all these aspects of cannabis, you have to be, as you said a couple minutes ago, like on the ball. How do you stay so up to date with ever, so many different things happening in the industry so quickly and changing so rapidly? How do you, how does your brain handle it all of it? Honestly, I read Benzinga and use Benzinga Pro. And this is not a pitch. I start my day a little bit later than, than some of the writers because we have writers in, in Europe and Eastern Europe as well, right? Because of the time zone so that we start covering news super early. So that is one of the first things I do, benzinga.com slash cannabis. That is one of my main sources. And then I, I go to all the big media outlets. I go to Marijuana Moment. I go to Green Entrepreneur. I go to Green Market Report. I go to High Times. I read a bunch of, of publications in Spanish and French and Italian and Portuguese. Check my email. A lot of it is in my email, right? People are sharing their news. Fortunately, that also makes it easy to not miss some of the undercover news items. Uh, and I talk to people. People will tell you their stories. And because it's a, it's a community, as I mentioned earlier, people will share not only their stories, but the stories they're interested in. Have you heard about this? A buddy of mine is doing that. And all that is, is, is just constantly feeds you. Of course, it's, it's, it's impossible to say, you know, abrasive every last news item. I will miss stuff. Fortunately, again, I have a great team at Benzinga. I have a great team at El Planteo. I have great colleagues in, in the industry. Some of them will be awarded at the Benzinga Cannabis Capital Awards on September 12th in Chicago at the Palmer House Hotel as part of the Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference, which we'll be discussing later. It's a nice industry. It all boils down to that. Most of my peers in the journalism world don't treat me as a competitor. They treat me as a colleague. And I do the same. So there's a lot in that. And, and I have to congratulate everyone who understands that philosophy, right? I'm a, a huge subscriber of the, of the uh, rising tide lifts all boats philosophy, right? To me, that is so true. And it has built, like, really helped me build a career, right? I'm a, I'm a random guy from Argentina. I went to a public school. What do I know about America? What do I know about cannabis? What do I know about English? As the tide rises, you know, we all do. And I found a lot of success in building partnerships and reaching out to, to Wheat Maps and Leafly and High Times and Entrepreneur and like everyone just, you know, let's share information. That's one of the coolest things. Even if you're competitors, everyone has this North Star of making cannabis accessible to everyone. Mm -hmm. And it's so unique to other industries because other industries don't necessarily have this one industry North stars. I, I agree with what you were just saying, and it's, but I think it's pretty rare, right? To have an industry where competitors see each other as peers and that everyone can work together to reach this common goal. So I love yeah. that you brought that up. Let's talk a little bit about the conference. This is perfect timing because next week we're all gonna be in Chicago on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Tell us about the conference. Let me put on my, my uh, promoter hat. Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference is coming to Chicago. This is the best conference in the entire cannabis industry. It is, you know, you have like 25,000. <laughs> no, let's, let's go back. 2,500 people attending this conference. All of the largest MSOs, 95% of the cannabis market cap. That means out of all the publicly traded companies, Companies representing 95% of that market cap will be there, more than 300 institutional investors, 
entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, CFOs, small companies, already owned companies. It's an event where you, you can go raise money, where you can go invest, where you can go learn, where you can go understand how to get into the industry, where you can go as a retail trader and identify the next big opportunities, right? To me, it's, it's incredible and it's super successful in terms of, of actually getting businesses funded. I said earlier, money is not everything when building a business, but it certainly helps. And many of the, the most important businesses in this industry do require uh, money, right? Ancillary businesses are great. I love them. I, this is where I live, but there's no industry without growers. There's no industry without grows. There's no industry without retailers and processors. Those are expensive ventures, right? And they need to get funded because they're, they're ultimately pushing for the greater good. I've been to most of the Benzinga events, but I feel like the one in Miami really, really put this conference on the map as a must attend. And it feels like the same thing is happening in Chicago. Every person that I connect with, it's like, I'll see you in Benzinga next week. You're, <laughs> you're going to Benzinga, right? Like it's a, it's now a thing. How did you guys go from being a conference that was, was pretty small and like smallish hotels to being one of, one of, if not the event you have to go to if you're in cannabis. How, how did that happen? It happened so quickly. It happens with the growth of the industry, right? We grew up and we matured with the industry. We matured with our partners. We matured with our friends. You know, the first event we did was in, in, in Toronto in Canada several years ago. And this is our 15th conference now, right? So it's a learning process. It's a learning curve. It's again, you know, it's also related to, to the capabilities. The, the team has grown a lot. Our budget has grown. The budget of company, you know, the companies attending has, has grown. So it's, it's, it's definitely a, a long learning curve, but, but we'll live and breathe this. This is what we love to do. To me, it's, it's amazing, right? You, you're there for two, three days and, you, you accomplish more than you could in six months of, of Zoom calls. Uh, the FaceTime is real. Our CEO, Jason Rasnick, always starts saying, go meet, go talk to someone you don't know. And I love that. That is, that is very real. People approach each other. People share their knowledge. We were talking about sharing knowledge earlier, right? That, that wasn't the case 10 years ago. I, I'm very ingrained in the grower, legacy grower community. Not so much in the U.S., but in Argentina and all of Latin America and Colombia and Uruguay. And, and we, we didn't used to share knowledge as much, right? Everyone had their own little booklet, their little black book that they, they kept their secrets in. But as, as, as we progressed, as we came out of the shadows, we came out of illegality, we're no longer prosecuted as much. And again, there's a very big racial bias in prosecution but things are getting slightly better. We started to share more and that all of that built Benzinga conferences. I, I feel like, again, it's, it's, we've matured, we've grown with the industry and I don't know, it makes me proud. It makes me really, really happy because it's, it's not just us growing. It's not just Benzinga getting uh, to be a $300 million company. It's everyone who was around us and everyone who was around us from day one, especially has seen this, this kind of expo explosive growth. Take your company, for instance, right? You went from a relatively small company to the standard and in, in, in staffing and HR in the industry. Yeah, very, very small college dorm. Do tell me about it. Can, can I ask you that question? And hey. can you like, what's, what's the path from college dorm to industry standard? The, well, I think we all have to come on to your podcast to, <laughs> to go into that, but it's definitely been a journey and I, 
and I appreciated what you said where you don't have to have millions and millions of dollars to start a business. You have to work hard, put one foot in front of the next and do a good job and solve a need. And so I love like when you were talking about how this is your 15th conference and when you started out, your customers had small budgets, but fast forward to today, companies have larger budgets. They can do larger sponsorships and imagine a decade from now, right? A decade from now, the industry is never going to be as small as it is today. And it's for people that are listening, that are considering getting in, we've accomplished so much in the last decade and we're still just getting started. I just, just one tidbit, by the way, because we talk so much about money and business. And of course, yeah, Benzinga is a financial company. It's a financial media outlet. It's a financial technology company. But I want to say one thing. Javier Hase at Benzinga.com. If you can't afford a ticket to email me, I'll get you in. I want people to get into the industry. I want people to, to really take advantage of this opportunity. I want people who are impacted by the war on drugs and discriminated for so many years uh, to really be able to leverage this opportunity to, to build wealth and health and well-being and, and, and do well by doing good, right? If, if, if that makes any sense, right? Um, I, I, I have seen that the front end of a policeman's guns barrel more many more times than I should have, right? And now I run a company and run an entire department in this industry. And I, I can't thank all the people who supported me enough. So I want to do the same. So just, you know, it's, it's one of those things we talk about suit and tie kind of conferences and, and money and millions and millions and billions. But I want this industry to be inclusive to everyone. We have initiatives to do that as well. We partner with Women Grow. We have a lot of social equity participants in the conference uh, presenting for free, getting booths for free. So for real, reach out. I'm, I'm, reach I'm, out. I'm not kidding. It, this is not something I, I just say. You heard it, everybody. Reach out. My, my final question is, as you look forward to your next decade in cannabis, what are you most excited about? I mean, all I care about, really, if you ask me, like, what is my number one priority in cannabis? It's legalization and expungement. Making money is awesome. Building great companies is awesome. Access is super important. Patients are super important. For all that to really happen, we need legalization. We need cannabis to be made legal, not only in the U.S., but around the world. And we need people who are in jail or prison for nonviolent cannabis offenses to get out and to be able to get into this industry. That is that is what I want. That is what I envision. That is all I, I really care about. And you know, in the process, we're building great businesses, as I just said, and I liked it. And I'm, oh, I remember that one is, you know, doing well by doing good. I remember the first cannabis conference I ever went to was in New York in, in the John Jay College of Criminal Justice, the same college who trained the prosecutors who were jailing people was hosting um, a cannabis conference. This was like six years ago. And Mantel Williams was a speaker and he spoke about the double bottom line. And I loved it. And it stuck with me. It, it's just like every day I, I think about that double bottom line. How can you live a good and provide employment and opportunities to many, many other people who both need and deserve it and are worthy of it? but at the same time do good for for the community for the people so that is what i'm thinking for for the next 10 years 
I, I want to see capital markets develop. I want to see safe bank. I, I want to see general financing mature. I want to see an, an evolution of, of different financing methods, both in equity and debt markets. I want to see real estate opportunities develop. I want to see innovation. I want to see people building software and cool products. What I want to see the most is legalization. The rest will follow. Tax revenue will come with it. New schools and roads will come with it. A lot of jobs will come with it. I hope a lot more women-run companies will come with it. And this used to be more than average, inclusive industry when it came to female founders and C-suites as the industry matured. People from other industries were brought in. Most of them were, were, were males, but also many women were bought out, which is cool. If that is the result, if, if the reason driving it is that women founded companies are getting bought out for millions, I'm fine. But I still want to see new and new and new businesses founded by women, by minorities, by Latinos, by African-Americans, by Asian-Americans. Just, as, you know, it's, I don't know, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm really optimistic, cautiously optimistic, obviously, but I'm, I'm very optimistic. And I think this is a global trend. We've seen this movement moved faster than any other movement in history. In the last few years, I don't know, like 70 countries or more moved to legalize cannabis in some way, shape or form. And the trend is only accelerating or, or, or at least, you know, more and more countries are, are joining this fantastic community, this club of, of... It's just getting started. Totally just getting started. Well, Javier, thank you so much for coming on the Proud to Work in Cannabis podcast. For everybody listening, we hope to see you at Benzinga next week. If you're yes. unable to make it, please follow along. Check Benzinga every single morning if you want to get up to speed. Benzinga Pro sounds like a great place to go to get all of your news. And yeah, I can't wait to see you next week. Thanks again for joining I, us. I can't wait to hear your panel and fireside, by the way. I'm it's going to be excited. good. <laughs> yes, Tuesday. And if you're over there, I'm on a, a panel and fireside chat on Tuesday. So we'll see you all in Chicago. Thanks for joining. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.